Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to begin by saying Happy Easter to all of you. I hope that wherever you are, you have the opportunity today to speak to your family and your friends, even if it is virtually. If you've been following our services throughout the season of Lent, you know we've been doing a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And the idea behind this series is that the more in touch you are with God's Spirit, 
inside of you, the more you come to embody certain qualities. And these qualities are outlined for us in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And those qualities are as follows. Self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. Because today is Easter, we have come to the last of these where we're going to be talking about love. But before we dive into that, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that we have been going through a very difficult and challenging time right now. I've actually done a little bit of research and I've discovered that, in fact, we are in probably one of the most unique times in history in terms of Christianity. Never before in the history of the Christian church have so many churches been closed around the world. The only time you can get to that's even close to this was during the world wars over in Europe where there was so much fighting that people could not get to church. The churches themselves were actually not closed, but the people could not leave their homes to get to the churches. So we are in a very unique time and place. The church is closed. It's just not the same. Without you here, preaching to an empty church is really not that much fun, but we hope that you're home safe and sound. On the positive things, or the positive side of things, I've been able to spend a lot more time with my family, been able to spend more time with my sons. And my sons and I, what we like to do is we like to have wrestling matches. Now, normally, we only do this once or twice a week. And the reason why I limit it to that is because as they've gotten older, they become much stronger. And whereas I could dominate them in the wrestling match before, they can actually hurt me now. And so I will come away from these matches with a lot of bruises where I think to myself, it's going to take a couple days for that to heal. But since we're at home and we're just kind of sequestered away and they have all this pent up energy, we are now wrestling every single day. So even though I'm pretty sure I'm gonna make it through and the coronavirus isn't gonna kill me, I think that my kids have a pretty good shot at it. Now, it's not all been just fun and games. We have had to do e-learning from home, which has been an entirely different thing to deal with. So my sons are in first and third grade, and I figured, you know what, this shouldn't be a problem, right? We can make it through this. I have a master's degree from Princeton. My wife is a lawyer. How hard could it be? Well, I'm coming to discover that I really have a lot of respect for my kids' teachers, because. They do 80% of their day in Spanish, and about 0% of my vocabulary is in Spanish. I know about three words. Hola, hasta la vista from Terminator 2, that's where I got that one, and then quesadilla. Those are like the three words that I know in Spanish. Have you ever seen that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I really think they should rename that, Are You Smarter Than a First Grader? Because honestly, I look at their assignments, I have no idea what's going on. But my inability to help my children with their education, I just chalk it up to a general confusion that we're all feeling right now about this time and place. I turn on the news, and honestly, I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's like something out of a movie. I look at it, and I can't believe that the economy is literally grinding to a halt. I can't believe that all these people are sequestered in their homes. I see what's happening in terms of the death tolls, and it is absolutely stunning to me. I can't help but wonder, am I going to wake up one day and realize this was all a dream? I also can't help but think that what we're experiencing right now is very similar to what the disciples felt when they watched Jesus be executed on Good Friday. So the disciples, they had followed Jesus to Jerusalem. 
in the hopes that he might claim his rightful place as the Messiah, that he might be able to step up and be named the king of the Jews. But rather than being lifted up in adulation, he was thrown down in ridicule. Upon entering into Jerusalem, he is arrested. He is placed on trial. He is convicted of treason, and then he is crucified. Everything that they have been working towards over the last two to three years was destroyed in an instant. And how many people are dealing with that exact same kind of situation today? I think of the millions of people who have lost their jobs. Right now, I know a family that's connected to me. This is a family that had recently just got a really good job. It was going to change their family situation substantially. Whereas they had trouble making rent and being able to pay for food before, now they had plenty and they could even pay off all of their debts. But because they were the last in, they're now the first out, as their company has been forced to downsize, and they're in a situation where they don't know what they're going to do, and it took them years to build up to this point. I think of the students who right now have been waiting for their graduations, whether it be high school graduates waiting for their diploma or college graduates waiting to get their bachelor's degree. What should have been a time for great celebration has been reduced to a mountain of unanswered questions. Will I be able to graduate? Will I have enough credits to graduate? Will I have enough hours to complete my certification or to be able to get my license? Will I have to go to another semester of school? Can I afford another semester of school? All of the uncertainty right now, it's palpable. And everybody's looking at each other and saying, where do we go from here? The disciples were asking the exact same question when Jesus died on Good Friday. They looked at each other and they said, where do we go from here? What are we going to do? And they had nowhere to go. They had no place where they could look around and say, okay, we know what the next step is. They didn't know. And so as a result, they looked at each other and like us, they just went to their homes and they sat there and they tried to figure out how are they going to move forward? How are they going to pick up the pieces? But what's interesting is that while they were in their homes, unexpectedly and amazingly, Jesus appeared to them out of nowhere. And I'm sure at first they didn't even know what it was that they saw. They looked at each other and they said, did you just see what I saw? And they probably didn't even believe it at first. But then it happened again and again until eventually they said, you know what? We got to get together. We got to keep this thing going. It's not over yet. We have to keep Jesus's movement alive. And so out of the ashes of their failure, they had to figure out a way forward. They had to figure out how to do Jesus's movement without Jesus, and they were in uncharted territory. They were moving into a place where they had never been before. They had to figure out how to work together. They had to figure out how to support one another. They had to figure out how to do something that had never been done before. If necessity is the mother of invention, then in this instance, their necessity allowed them to create the foundations of the church. And we find ourselves in very much the same circumstances right now. We are in uncharted territory. How are we supposed to be able to do church when we can't gather together in a physical building? And we're not the only ones asking this question. 
This question is being asked by educators and business owners and government leaders. And of course, what we're relying upon, thankfully we can do this, is using the internet. You guys are watching right now, we can communicate with you this way. But I think that the question we're all asking is, how long can this be sustained? You see, what allowed the church to flourish and thrive for the last 2,000 years is our ability to create strong, meaningful, and intimate relationships within our communities. What the disciples understood after Jesus' departure is that if they were going to be as successful as Jesus, they had to make space so that those relationships could be formed. We needed to be able to create these deep and intimate bonds with one another because humans were very social creatures. We like to spend time together. So how are you supposed to feel loved if you're isolated from one another? How are we supposed to do what the church does best, which is to make people feel loved when we can't be with each other face to face? And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Alex, this isn't going to last forever. Eventually, the infection rate will drop and we'll be able to get back to business as usual. And you're right. Eventually, we will be able to get back to the way we knew things. But the fact is, this is not an isolated incident. This will happen again. There are simply too many people and too many opportunities for these viruses to mutate and to jump into our population. And personally, I see us as being very, very fortunate. The coronavirus, this was a wake-up call to us to show us how vulnerable we are as a species. The coronavirus is certainly a bad thing. Like, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the deaths that we're seeing from this are very, very high, but it could be much, much worse. Can you imagine if instead of coronavirus, we were dealing with something like 1918 flu? That particular strain of influenza infected 300 million people and killed 50 million of the 300 million who were infected. That was at a time when transportation was not nearly as rapid or as widespread as it is today. Some epidemiologists have said that if something as deadly as 1918 flu got into our population today, that we would be finding ourselves in a situation where the death toll could be as high as a billion people. So, this is a wake-up call for us. It's a wake-up call that we could be in a much worse situation, and it could happen again, and if we don't take drastic steps quickly, we could be in quite serious circumstances. But you know what's given me a great deal of hope? Is the way that we as human beings have banded together through this. I have to say that I'm always amazed that when human beings have their backs against the wall, that we find a way to not only survive, but thrive. We saw this happen during World War II. So in World War II, once the Allies decided to, the United States decided to join the Allies in the war, we made decisions in this country that we were going to allocate resources to the war efforts. So gasoline, butter, sugar, milk, those things ended up going to the war effort. They had to be directed towards that, and so they were rationed off here in the United States. And people were willing to go down that road. People were willing to make those sacrifices. In fact, people were willing to donate their pots and pans so that the metal could be melted down for munitions and tanks. 
People were willing to give what they had because they understood that if we didn't all work together, that it was going to result in us not achieving our goal. And that's when we are at our best, is when we all come together and we all understand we have to work together towards it. Now, we are in a different kind of situation. The war that we're fighting right now is very different. Unlike the wars that we create as human beings, where we are the total cause and the solution to the problem, we cannot just declare a ceasefire. We can't just say, let's put down the weapons and we'll move on with our lives. We are dealing with an enemy that we can't see. And to say it's an enemy is really probably the wrong thing. It's just an organism. It's really not having any conscious thought about it. It's just outdoing what it does. The problem is, is that we don't have that magic bullet yet. We don't have a vaccine that can prevent us from being infected. And as you all know, we can be infected with this and be walking around and not even realize that we're infecting other people. And so the only solution to this problem is for us to stay isolated and to keep ourselves away from other people. Other than that, we are powerless in this situation. So now that our backs are against the wall and we're in this difficult circumstance, how are we gonna rise above? How are we gonna do what we need to do to ensure that we not only survive but thrive? And for me, when I think about this, I have to consider what is within our control and what's not within our control. And there's a lot that's outside of our control in this. We cannot control how long this virus is going to spread. As much as we might isolate, there's only so much that we can do about that. We cannot control who lives and who dies when they get infected with this virus. We cannot control the economic fallout from this. The only thing that we can control is our personal reaction to being in this circumstance. That's all that we can do. And so you can react with a spirit of fear, worry, and trepidation. You can anticipate the worst that's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples after they saw Jesus executed on Good Friday. When they saw Jesus crucified, they resorted into a place of fear and trepidation, and rightfully so. Their friend, their mentor, their leader, the one who they called Messiah, he was executed in the most brutal of ways. And so by being associated with him, they could face the exact same fate. And so that's why they went and they sequestered themselves in their homes, because they were afraid. But then, while they were there, they had this experience of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And what Jesus demonstrated to them is that love will always triumph over fear. What the resurrection proves to us is that love will always overcome the worst we face as humans. Now, why does it prove this to us? It proves it because when they saw this, when they saw the resurrection, it inspired the disciples to get up and to leave their homes. It actually inspired them to not fear the worst, to not dread what was going on, and they decided that, you know what, we have to move forward in love. They realized they could not control how other people reacted to them being associated with a man who had been executed for treason. They couldn't do anything about that. But what they could do is that they could control how they reacted to the people who they came in contact with. And you know what they chose to do? They chose to treat every single person with whom they came into contact with love, with care, and compassion. And as a result of that choice, do you know what happened? 
their movement grew slowly but surely. Because they decided to use love, love transformed an unthinkably bad situation. And by the way, it was an unthinkably bad situation. When your leader has been executed by the Roman government for treason, that's unthinkably bad. So they took an unthinkably bad situation with love and transformed Christianity into the largest religion in the world. Now we today, we are in an unthinkably bad situation. There is no doubt about that. It's rough right now, but think about how, if we use love in this situation, how it can transform this circumstance. I have to be honest with you, I've been amazed at the way the members of this community, the community of First Pres, the way they have been there for each other. People are looking out for each other. People are asking the question in all sincerity, how are you doing? What can I do for you right now? What do you need? I would say that we are more attentive to the needs of our community than we have ever been. It's as if this virus has awakened us from our slumber. And we are all of a sudden attentive to the needs of our fellow humans like never before. We are no longer taking our relationships for granted and assuming that they will always be there. And so what I see happening is that even though this virus is causing a great deal of anxiety about what's going to happen in the future, I see people rising above that anxiety, and they are taking all that negative energy, and they're turning it into positive action by showing love and compassion to their neighbors. The only thing that we have to do is to make sure that we keep up that love and compassion when this is all over. Because once it's done, if we can continue to do that, then we are going to be doing what Jesus did on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what God did with Jesus. He took Jesus, right, an execution which was very, very bad, and then God used it for good through the resurrection. And that's what we have to do in this situation. We find ourselves in these very difficult circumstances, and we have to use them for good. And so my prayer for you on this Easter Sunday is that you would not succumb to your worries. Do not allow your worries to rob you of what you can control. Do not allow your fears to rob you of what you can control. You can control how you react to the people around you. You can control how you treat the people around you. You can treat them like the disciples with love, compassion, and care. It doesn't matter whether you know them well or you don't know them at all. Let them know that you're thinking about them. Ask them how they're doing. Let them know that you care and that they matter to you. And when you do that, every single time you do it, you will be doing what God did with Jesus on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You will be taking something bad and you will be using it for good. May God bless you and keep you safe during this challenging and difficult time. May you not take for granted the relationships that you have with your friends and your family. And may you show love and compassion to everyone with whom you come into contact. Happy Easter and amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.